Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times News Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. From the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 7th of April 2022, from the news section. Over 700 staff face acts at Glasgow's flagship COVID lab by Helen McArdle. Hundreds of lab staff at Scotland's flagship COVID testing site are facing redundancy within week, despite record virus rates. The trade union has called for the First Minister and Scottish Government to urgently intervene after it emerged that 745 lab technicians and sample handlers at the Glasgow Lighthouse Lab could be laid off. It warned that the loss of expertise posed a threat to public health and would hamper efforts to track future COVID variants. The Lighthouse Lab, part of a UK-wide network of COVID testing facilities, has been hosted by Glasgow University at its campus on the Queen Elizabeth University Hospital in Govan since March 2020. However, Unite said the the university had been forced into a 45-day consultation on redundancies last week due to the lack of funding and pending contracts. If no resolution can be found, around 745 employees face having their contracts terminated from May 14th. Unite is taking legal action on the contractual position of its members and argues that the move reneges on a previous commitment by the UK Health Security Agency to safeguard the roles until at least September 2022. The job losses come after the UK Treasury cut funding for universal Covid testing. Community-based PCR sites have already closed in England and Wales and will close in Scotland on May 1st. Confirming the closures in March, Nicola Sturgeon said the Scottish Government would do everything we can to support those who have worked on the testing programme as it is wound down. However, Unite criticised the failure to commit to redeploying staff. Sharon Graham, Unite General Secretary, said... The Glasgow Lighthouse Lab workforce is at the heart of protecting public health in Scotland and, at a time when Covid rates continue to run high, it is a disgrace that hundreds of highly skilled jobs, knowledge and experience is potentially going to be lost. Unite is determined to protect our members and will explore every option, including legal ones, to fully defend their jobs, pay and conditions. Around 120 posts are expected to be created in Scotland for resilience stroke surge testing to manage COVID outbreaks and to facilitate ongoing smaller scale surveillance by the Office for National Statistics. Unite is urging the Scottish Government to do everything possible to ensure the work remains in Glasgow. Alison McLean, the Regional Officer for Unite, said... There has been no commitment from the Scottish Government to extend the funding or redeploy this critically important workforce. Covid numbers, hospitalisations and death have increased in Scotland. 
And notwithstanding the future impact of Covid variants, this grave uncertainty for 745 workers is bewildering and dangerous. Scottish Labour health spokesman Jackie Bailey said the planned cuts were deeply concerning, adding, we need to ensure that testing capacity is retained, particularly so that we can have the ability to cope with the demands of the health and social care sector and in the event of new strains of the virus appearing. Dr Sandesh Gulain, Scottish Conservative Shadow Health Secretary, said it was unacceptable that the lab staff looked to have had the rug pulled from under them. He added, we should have a plan to retain and redeploy expertise, not simply show them the door. A spokesman for the UK HSA said the end of routine COVID testing will result in a significant drop in laboratory demand, but added that discussions remain ongoing around the role that the Glasgow Laboratory will play as part of the resilience built into the laboratory network and our plans for contingency capacity. A spokesman for the Scottish Government said, The Glasgow Lighthouse Lab has been a high-performing lab throughout the COVID-19 response, and we are grateful to staff for their dedication and hard work. We are in close contact with the University and aware of its consultation with staff and trade unions on potential job losses relating to the sensation of UK government-held testing contracts, and are disappointed that the UK Health Sec Security Agency UK HSA, has not been able to provide further clarity on future activity. The Scottish Government is working with the University to enable it to support all staff involved to find where necessary alternative employment opportunities either with their existing employer or with another employer or sector. We are actively engaging with trades unions to ensure whatever approach is taken in future has the workforce at the heart of those discussions. It comes as US firm Catalent confirmed that it has acquired a UK vaccine manufacturing plant in Oxfordshire. The Vaccine Manufacturing and Innovation Centre, VMIC, which is being built to help the country respond to future pandemics, was reportedly put up for sale despite receiving more than £200 million in taxpayer investment. This article was by Helen McCarthy from the Glasgow Times, Thursday the 7th of April 2022, from the news section. Teenager Billy Licorice missing from Drumreach Place in Rutherglen. By Sarah Campbell. Fears are growing for a teenage boy who is missing from Rutherglen. Billy Lickrish was last seen at around 2am on Wednesday the 6th of April at his home address on Drumreach Place. The 14-year-old is described as close to 5 foot 2 inches of medium build with short curly blonde hair. When last seen he was wearing a dark grey hoodie, a Rangers football club top, black joggers and grey trainers. Sergeant Eddie Cairn said, Billy has been missing before but he has not been in touch with his family for some time and concerns are growing. I am asking anyone who has seen Billy or who might know where he is to get in touch with us. Anyone who can help should call Police Scotland on 101, quoting incident number 0183 of Wednesday the 6th of April. This article is by Sarah Campbell. From the Glasgow Times of Thursday the 7th of April 2022, from the Opinion section, Councillor Eva Murray. We must learn from councillors who have decided to stand down. 
Last Thursday marked the final full council of the current council term and the last motion to be heard at that meeting focused on women in local government, the barriers which many face to even consider standing and the additional challenges which they are presented with when they eventually are elected, including horrific levels of abuse. We already know that women are severely underrepresented when it comes to our town halls and city chambers, with just 29% of councillors being women, despite us making up 52% of the population. It was moving to hear women from across the chamber reflect on their time as councillors, but I was sad that for a number it was their final contribution, and for many, standing down after just one term. There are 26 current councillors who won't be seeking re-election, including 11 women. Of them, only nine have completed one full term. The brutally honest testimony was harrowing, not meant to put other women off standing, but to let those watching have an insight into the things you don't always see often happening behind the scenes, and even for those of us who didn't contribute to the debate directly, we could sympathise and think of our own experiences where at times we didn't feel safe, where the abuse either delivered from a keyboard or face-to-face -to -face took a toll, and when we had those thoughts of asking ourselves if frontline politics was even for us. For once in the chamber, we weren't split along political party lines, but instead united in a shared experience, but also in a want and need to do something about it. I have always been fairly open about what it's like being a young woman in elected politics. I've spoken before about the good, the bad and the ugly sides of it, the times when I've told myself that it's nothing but imposter syndrome creeping up on me and the others, where I have been a few phone calls and some tears from walking away from it all. We are told all the time you need a tough skin to be in politics. I get that, and there's no denying whether we like it or not, you do. But nothing could have prepared me for being shouted at in the middle of a public community centre that I was an effing waste of space by a fellow councillor because I dared to challenge a decision they made or the time I had to contact the police because another sitting councillor sent me threatening direct mails on Twitter or continuous daft wee lassie chat from the same people who preach about why not enough young women come forward as candidates. And I know my experience is not unique. Speak to any woman councillor, they will have their own story. But what gets me is that they may try to put us down, but we do keep fighting. We speak out and we try to make things better for those who will be in that next generation. I'm proud to be standing again to represent the communities and the city I love. I'm also proud of all the women who have decided to put their name on the ballot this year, but we must learn from those who have decided to stand down. It's on all of us to do better. 
This article was by Eva Murray. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 8th of April 2022. From the news section, Man due in court after Rangers v Celtic bottle throwing incident. Report by Sarah Campbell. A man is due to appear in court next week in connection with an incident at Ibrox Stadium. The 32-year-old has been arrested and charged after a bottle was thrown in a pitch at a Celtic v Rangers match on Sunday, April the 3rd. One man sustained injuries as a result of this and required treatment. The 32-year-old man is due to appear at Glasgow Sheriff Court on Monday, April the 11th. And that was a piece by Sarah Campbell. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 8th of April 2022, from the news section... Man jailed for racially abusing member of the public at Glasgow Central by Sarah Campbell, digital journalist. A man has been jailed as as subjecting a bystander to a shocking racist rant and threatening to stab him outside Glasgow Central Station last year. Stephen Barrett approached his victim, who was standing with two rail workers under a canopy in Gordon Street on the evening of July 20th, 2021. He asked the 42-year-old man for a cigarette, which he politely declined. Barrett then proceeded to spout a vile trade of racist abuse aimed at his victim, calling him a terrorist and threatening to cause him physical harm. Three British Transport Police officers raced to intervene and found Barrett shouting and swearing outside the Toby Jug bar on Hope Street. The 28-year-old was arrested and taken for further questioning, where he later said, I am not a racist. Appearing at Glasgow Sheriff Court on Thursday, March 31st, 2022, Barrett of Dunblane Street pleaded not guilty to racially aggravated behaviour. He was sentenced to seven months in jail for his crime. British Transport Police Constable MacDonald said, Barrett's criminal actions on that summer's evening were not only revolting, but caused significant distress to the victim and the public in the area at the time. I would like to thank the witnesses who greatly assisted us in our investigation and the courts for handing down an adequately strong custodial sentence. We take incidents of hate crime extremely seriously. Behaviour, where someone is targeted because of who they are or made to feel uncomfortable, will not be tolerated anywhere on the railway network. If you are a victim of hate crime, please report it to us by texting 61016 or calling 0800 40540 No report is too small or too trivial. We will always take you seriously. And that piece was by Sarah Campbell. From the Glasgow Times, Friday the 8th of April 2022, from the news section, Racist thug assaults mum and child outside Glasgow Storms gig. This article is an exclusive by Kirsty Fierick. A wild racist thug viciously assaulted a mum and her schoolgirl daughter outside a Stormzy gig. Michelle Winton, 47, took 13-year-old Miaha to her first concert in the Hydro in Glasgow on Monday night to watch the artist perform. But they claim after leaving the venue at around 10.20pm, a man began to hurl racist slurs at them before punching the shocked mother in the face. The terrifying incident happened in front of her traumatised daughter, who tried to pull the attacker off her mum, only she claims that then to been assaulted herself in an area outside the Finiston venue between the Hydro and the Scottish event campus. The pair, from Edinburgh, 
have now been left badly bruised and traumatised by the incident, with Miaha too scared to return to Glasgow or any music con- concert. Michelle choked back tears as she said, The guy was completely wild. I have had racist abuse before, but never in my life have I been attacked like this. He started verbally abusing us before punching me full in the face in front of my daughter. She tried to get him off me, but he then punched her and pulled her hair. She's only 13. I was shouting for help because he just kept hitting us. It was just banging out of order to attack my daughter like that. She's a minor, and he was so vicious. It was her first concert and was supposed to be a happy memory, but now she's too scared to ever go to a concert again or back to Glasgow. He cannot get away with this. And that article is an exclusive by Kirsty Fierick. This article is from The National, date 8th April 2022, from the Culture section. Glasgow Museum Items to be repatriated to Nigeria, India and Native Americans by Drew Sandilands. The largest repatriation of museum items in Scotland has been agreed by Glasgow City Council with artefacts to be returned to Nigeria, India and Native Americans. Looted bronzes from Benin a stolen ceremonial sword from India and belongings lifted from massacred Lakota people in South Dakota, USA, will now be given back. The decision has been made by Glasgow councillors following requests from the descendants of the rightful owners. A cross-party group recommended the items were returned. David MacDonald, departing chairman of Glasgow Life, which manages the museums, told the City Administration Committee the recommendations before us represent the largest repatriation of museum items ever in Scotland and, I believe, the first in the UK to India. So this is a significant moment for the City and the wider debate on the topic of repatriation and decolonisation. Bronzes, used in ancestor worship, were taken from the altars at the Royal Court of Benin during an invasion by British forces in 1897. There are 17 in Glasgow's collection which were acquired as gifts or from auction houses and the National Commission of Museums and Monuments of Nigeria, acting on behalf of the Oba of Benin, requested they be returned to Benin City. MacDonald who isn't seeking re-election in May, said, These items are part of the living culture of Benin and will again be used for their original purpose on the return as well as being displayed in museums. The High Commission of India in London requested the return of eight items on behalf of the Government of India and Archaeological Services India. These include building fragments stolen from Hindu temples and shrines, as well as a ceremonial sword and scabbard. Nearly 300 Lakota people were killed by US Army soldiers during the Wounded Knee Massacre in South Dakota in 1890. Belongings taken from the dead were sold to Glasgow by George Cradger, the interpreter for performers at the Buffalo Bill Wild West show which came to Deniston in 1892. 
A request for repatriation of 25 artefacts was received from the descendants of the late Marcella Labo, a Lakota elder, politician, nurse and military veteran who died at the age of 102 last year. The family is representing the Cheyenne River Sioux tribe and the Olalga Sioux tribe, council officials reported. MacDonald said, these items, the personal belongings of murdered Lakota tribespeople, include necklaces, beaded waistcoats, headdresses, moccasins, a shield cover and children's leggings. He added the city plans to make a financial contribution towards their return. The items for India and Nigeria are being sponsored by national governments or institutions, he said. But the return of these items would otherwise be left up to the descendants themselves. We believe it would be an added insult for the city to expect the Lakota people to pay for the return of these items. We are asking officers to finalise arrangements and offer full financial support for the safe and honourable return of these items. The estimated cost of repatriation is expected to be between £30,000 and £40,000. Lebeau was behind the campaign for the return of the Ghost Dance shirt, a sacred item to Native Americans which is believed to have been worn by a Sioux warrior during the massacre from Kelvin Grove Museum in 1998. Councillors also agreed eight half-hull shipbuilders design models gifted to Glasgow by Alexander Hall and Co of Aberdeen in 1881 should be transferred to Aberdeen Art Gallery and Museum. The Aberdeen Museum has offered a 19th century display model of a Clyde-built Scotia as a transfer. They also decided to return a ship's bell and honours panel from HMS Glasgow to the Royal Navy. The Navy had gifted the items to Glasgow when the Type 42 destroyer was decommissioned in 2005, but it will now use them on the new HMS Glasgow, a Type 26 frigate. MacDonald said the repatriation decisions should just be the start for the Council in delivering cultural justice and the decolonisation of our museums. That article was by Drew Sandilands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 11th of April. 30,000 pints of Ukraine beer in UK for special event. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Beer lovers are being asked to raise a glass and funds for the people of Ukraine. Two Glasgow businesses are taking part in a nationwide fundraiser by selling Kiev-based beer Var Var Brew and donating the profits to Drinkers for Ukraine, which raises funds for humanitarian relief in Ukraine. Those wishing to help out can buy a Var Var at the Wee Beer Shop on Pollockshaws Road or Valhalla's Goat on Great Western Road. Importer and distributor Eurobooza has successfully delivered 30,000 pints worth of Var Var's craft beer to the UK – and the beers will be available to buy across the country from 4pm on Thursday. Drinkers and retailers are also being asked to share their pictures on social media. Martin Railton, Managing Director of Eurobooza, said, It's been far from straightforward, but we're delighted to announce that the Vava Beer Rescue has been a complete success and the lorry has arrived at our headquarters. 
He added, we have a big job now to get the beer delivered to the incredible bars, pubs, restaurants and retailers who've bought into the initiative, but we're confident, especially with some incredible offers of help, that fridges and shelves across the UK will be stocked with amazing Ukraine beer by April the 14th. An article written by Rebecca Newlands. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 11th of April. Concerns over delay to inquiry. An article written by Tom Torrance. Ministers have been accused of needlessly delaying a public inquiry into the fires that devastated the Glasgow School of Art. Politicians called for an inquiry after a three-year investigation by the Scottish Fire and Rescue Service into the second blaze in 2018, which destroyed the Charles Reddy Macintosh masterpiece, failed to find the cause. Culture Secretary Angus Robertson has now written to Holyrood's Culture Committee to say the Scottish Government continues to carefully consider the benefit of establishing a public inquiry. But Scottish Conservative Culture Spokesperson Sharon Dowie said the Glasgow School of Art was an iconic part of Scotland's cultural scene and people are rightly demanding answers to what ultimately happened. While the committee belatedly received this response from Angus Robertson, he's completely dodged questions over a public inquiry – This isn't good enough. Committee member Sarah Boyack said the Glasgow School of Art fires devastated an important educational institution with invaluable artistic value, but it also hit the local economy as well. Years on from these fires, we're still waiting for answers. An article written by Tom Torrance. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 11th of April. Labour hit out at £236 million cost of agency nurses. An article written by Caroline Wilson. Scotland's health board spends an eye-watering £236 million in one year on bank and agency nurses to plug NHS staffing gaps, figures show. Statistics published by the Scottish Government have revealed that there was an 11.3% rise in spend to cover rotor gaps in the year up to last March, after the pandemic took hold. Scottish Labour said the figures showed a nursing workforce on the brink and said the taxpayer was paying a heavy price for SNP workforce planning failures. A recent study from the Royal College of Nursing, or RCN, has shown that since 2011-2012, bank nursing has increased by 58.9%. A spokesperson for the RCN said the pandemic had led to off-the-scale staff absences, but added the bottom line is Scotland does not have the nursing staff to deliver care to all who need it. The Scottish Government said the spend on agency nursing in Scotland represents less than 1% of the overall staffing budget – with a majority of temporary staffing coming from the NHS staff bank. The skyrocketing bill for agency and bank staff comes as more than 6,600 nursing and midwifery vacancies are reported across Scotland's NHS. Scottish Labour health spokesperson Jackie Bailey said, The facts are clear for all to see. The SNP's complete failure to support our nursing workforce has led to yawning chasms in staffing levels and an eye-watering bill on the public purse. Make no mistake, this is the price of SNP failure. Scotland's heroic nursing workforces go above and beyond for patients every day, but they're being failed by a government unwilling to act. If we're to get to grips with this crisis in nurse staffing, we need a proper plan to get the skilled nursing staff we need, including incentivising agency and bank nurses into the ranks of our NHS. Failure to act now will only lead to a soaring cost to the taxpayer and even more pressure on our overworked nursing staff. 
an article written by Caroline Wilson. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 11th of April. Major redevelopment plans for St Enoch Centre take next step. An article written by Katrina Stewart, columnist and reporter. The redevelopment of St Enoch Centre to include 1,700 homes has taken a step closer as bosses revealed a planning application for the scheme has now been submitted. Property developer and asset manager Sovereign Centros has filed documents outlining its master plan proposals to Glasgow City Council. Proposals focus on the creation of a mixed-use development, focusing on retail, leisure, entertainment, hotel, offices and city centre living. Guy Beaumont, director at Sovereign Centros, said, A great deal of effort has been invested into the creation of this master plan, which reflects extensive engagement with key stakeholders across the city. We've been clear that there's still a lot of detail to be developed, and this is the start of a long journey. However, we're confident what we've set out represents an excellent contribution to the city and will future-proof the site. Two public consultations into the long-term future of the centre have been held, looking at how the shopping mall can be sustainably developed in the next 15 to 20 years. Plans for the site involve up to 1,700 new homes, office space, a four-star hotel, new shopping and leisure space and a public realm space. Following the first public consultation, proposals were revisited to include widened streets, increased daylight and a public square. This ensured more breakout space and better connections between the retail and leisure space and neighbouring parts of the city. Glasgow Chamber of Commerce called the scheme a vote of confidence for the city, saying it's crucial in the wake of the pandemic. Stuart Patrick, chief executive of Glasgow Chamber of Commerce, added, Investment in our city centre is crucial after the challenges we've faced over the past two years. The plans proposed by Sovereign Centros are a vote of confidence for Glasgow in the face of a changing retail landscape, and it's encouraging to see those plans set out a mixed-use development that expands leisure activities as well as workspace and residential. The extent of the consultation on this project is recognised and welcomed, as these plans will shape the future of our city and strengthen our prospects of attracting local and international investment. If the outline master plan secures consent, Sovereign Centros Management said more detailed proposals will be developed for consultation. The public and key stakeholders will have the opportunity to view these and to feedback ideas and comments. The Glasgow Times told recently how Sovereign Centros has also submitted a change of use application to alter the upper floors of the Debenhams building, which is currently lying empty. The developer has showcased how the space could be transformed into flexible and modern offices, which could be further complemented by a striking rooftop restaurant. An article written by Katrina Stewart. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 11th of April. One man in hospital after Glasgow Street locked down after incident. A front-page article written by Sarah Pacheroni. A man has been taken to hospital after a street in Glasgow's south side was closed by emergency crews due to a disturbance. Calder Street was sealed off by police tape, while a fire engine blocked the road to traffic. At least seven police vehicles, three fire engines and an incident response unit were on the scene. High-level fencing was secured around the area to prevent public access, while officers stood guard. A large crowd of people gathered near the street, as well as on Langside Road and Govan Hill Library. One eyewitness said, I saw two police officers banging on two doors earlier by the Govan Hill Baths offices, but no one was coming out. 
Police confirmed that they are attending following a report of a disturbance within a property and one man was taken to hospital as a result. They've said that there was no greater risk to the public. Councillor Vary Hunter tweeted about the incident happening between Langside Road and Victoria Road, encouraging people in the area to avoid it. The Scottish Fire and Rescue Service confirmed they were in attendance, assisting Police Scotland with an incident. No further information was provided. At around 20 past three, nearly three and a half hours into the incident, an ambulance arrived on the scene as well as another police van. Armed officers were pictured emerging from the van. Calder Street was reopened at 5.15pm, more than five hours after the incident. A Police Scotland spokesperson said officers attended a property on Calder Street in Glasgow following a report of a disturbance around 5 past 12 on Sunday, April the 10th. A 20-year-old man has now been arrested and charged in connection with the incident and is due to appear at Glasgow Sheriff Court on Monday. An article written by Sara Pacheroni. Glasgow Times News on Monday the 11th of April. The SNP will speed up cap and tap plan. An article written by Sarah Hilly. The SNP has vowed to speed up its transformation of public transport in Glasgow with publicly owned buses and a tap-and-cap ticket system across all travel. It says tackling the cost of living crisis, the climate emergency and recovery from the pandemic will form the heart of its strategy for the next five years. 50 election hopefuls have lined up to fight for seats across the city's 23 wards as the candidates released their manifesto on Saturday alongside First Minister Nicola Sturgeon. The SNP has been a minority administration in Glasgow City Council since 2017. A number of SNP councillors won't seek re-election, including City Convener for Sustainability Anna Richardson. Deputy Leader David MacDonald is also standing down. An SNP spokesperson said, We are fielding 50 candidates across the city with the ambition of returning an SNP city government and continuing the work of transforming Glasgow. We are the only party with the realistic aims or credible plan for leadership to serve the needs and ambitions of the people of Glasgow. Every one of those standing for the SNP is determined to deliver for their communities and for our great city. A statement released before the official manifesto launched promised to revolutionise public transport by working towards a Clyde Metro system of light rail to connect our communities, publicly owned and run buses and integrated tap and cap, ticketing across transport modes. Council leader Susan Aitkin said, Our plan for Glasgow addresses Covid, climate and the cost of living crisis, the issues of our times. These past five years have seen Glasgow face several unprecedented challenges thrust on top of the immense task we inherited to turn this city round. In the face of that, we're proud of the progress we've made and our aim now is to build on the strong foundations for change we've laid. Driving everything we do is our core commitment to tackling poverty and inequality, improving our communities and creating better life chances for every Glaswegian. An article written by Sarah Hilly. Evening Times, April 11, Lifestyle, the story of the world's real greatest showman and his amazing Glasgow Zoo, report by Anne Fotheringham. He was the original greatest showman and uh, this week, more than 100 years ago, he was entertaining huge crowds in Glasgow. Frank C. Bostock was a worldwide celebrity, 
although modern audiences may never even have heard of him. He was the man who allegedly invented the circular big top circus tent, who trained a chimpanzee to drive a car, and who worked out if you showed an upturned chair at a lion, it would be tamed. Our sister newspaper The Herald reported on Frank's show at New City Road on April 9, 1912, as follows. The jungle proved a popular resort for holidaymakers yesterday, large attendances being attracted to the New City Road establishment throughout the day. Several performances were given, and each of them drew forth the enthusiastic appreciation of the onlookers. The displays given daily at the jungle demonstrate in a remarkable manner the extent to which animals of the jungle and the wild can be trained. Lions, tigers, leopards, bears, under the direction of their trainers, male and female, gave sensational performances, while an elephant entertains and amazes with its intelligence. It continues, while the cleverness of the animals call forth nothing but praise, tribute must also be paid to the courage of the trainers. Altogether, no one should fail to see the performance which Mr. Frank C. Bostock is now presenting in Glasgow. The animals do not exhaust the attractiveness of the spacious Bostock establishment. There are numerous free sideshows of an entertaining description, and a large patronage extended to these kept the fun going briskly yesterday. Touring animal shows and menageries were all the rage at the turn of the 20th century, in a world where health and safety and the proper treatment of animals had yet to become hot topics. It was also a world without David Attenborough and his wildlife documentaries, so exotic animals like lions and tigers were huge draws for Glaswegians, eager for a different kind of entertainment. In fact, according to music hall history site arthurlloyd.co.uk, the Bostock and Wombwell Royal Menagerie and its amusements was a frequent visitor to Glasgow, to sites such as Glasgow Green, the old barracks carnival ground off the Gallowgate, and the recreation grounds at New City Road. The website points out, it was in 1897 that E. H. Bostock, Frank's brother, settled as lessee and eventual owner at New City Road, Cowcaddens Cross, Glasgow, in what was then the vast but run-down New Olympia Hall, extending to one acre. He constructed cages, put in electric light, and with Dean of Guild consent, erected a circus in the centre of the huge building, opening his Scottish Zoo, the first permanent zoo in Scotland. The venue was also known as the Zoo Circus Building, and later the Zoo Hippodrome Building. It stood next to the normal seminary created by David Stowe in 1837 as Britain's first teacher training college.
Showman Edward Henry Bostock and George Wombwell opened the large arena after deciding Glasgow could support a permanent home instead of constantly being on the road with their menagerie. They even allowed a couple to get married in the lion's cage while the lions were inside, which attracted a crowd of thousands who perhaps were hoping for more drama than materialised. A star attraction was the Asian elephant Sir Roger, a gentle big soul until he turned 27 in 1900 and developed mus, a dangerous condition of vastly increased testosterone amongst old bull elephants that made him so aggressive he broke the arm and several ribs of his keeper. The decision was taken to put the elephant down and the story was reported around the world, even in New Zealand. His carcass was taken to a Sucky Hall Street taxidermy firm whose staff worked on his skeleton and hide until they had a stuffed Sir Roger who was donated to Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum where he has been a star attraction ever since. E. H. Bostock, who also became the MP for Cowcaddens, added the showing of films to the zoo complex and remained at the Zoo Electric Theatre in 1911 and shortly afterwards, as the animal element became less important, it became the Joy Town Grand Electric Theatre, with the name falling out of use when it became temporary barracks for troops during the First World War. Other uses include a roller skating rink and a bus garage before the snooker hall moved in with a Chinese restaurant and supermarket on the floor below. Frank had a couple of hairy moments during his career. He survived a mauling by his tiger in 1901 and an attack by a lion four years later. He died of flu in 1912 when he was just 46 years of age. England's greatest showman dead, said the front page headlines. Report by Anne Fotheringham. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 12th of April 2022, from the news section. Disabled woman stunned after Glasgow Time reader pays off entire debt by Kirsty Fierick. A disabled young woman forgot how to breathe after a big-hearted stranger paid off her entire debt with no strings attached. Stunned Kyra Edwards from Hamilton was gifted £5,098.46 to wipe out all her arrears and, quotes, get a takeaway by a kind stranger who wanted to help her flee poverty. It comes after the 28-year-old, who suffers from severe OCD, anxiety and depression, opened up about her financial struggles in the Glasgow Times Beat the Squeeze campaign. Kyra revealed how she was facing the choice between eating and heating as she battled to pay off her debt from a previous relationship and trying to keep up with bills. She had nothing left to cut back on as she shared her experience to highlight the pressing issue affecting people's living standards. 
But Kyra had no idea one generous reader would take direct action by sending her life-changing cash to allow her to breathe a wee bit. Now she plans to pay off her full debt by the end of the month and can't wait not to feel trapped anymore. Kyra said, I had a notification with a new balance and just lay down. I forgot how to breathe. I was just in extreme shock. I have been paying off my debt for years, so to know I don't have this hanging over my head anymore has made me speechless. Having debt changes how you view everything. It has caused me so much anxiety, grief and poverty, I felt so trapped. I don't think any words will truly express how humbled and grateful I feel at their generosity. I never expected anything to come from sharing my experience other than hope that it would put a light on a crisis that so many people deal with every day. When Kirsty from the Glasgow Times messaged me to say someone had reached out to her about making a donation towards my debt, I was surprised. I didn't think anything would come of it. I gave her permission to query and sent over details and asked her to please thank them for me. I had no idea my life was about to change. The anonymous reader said to Kyra, It's now your money, but I do hope you will use it to pay off your debt and maybe enough left for a good curry or a nice meal to treat yourself. I read your difficult story by Kirstik Fierik in the Glasgow Times and it seemed to me that if you could pay off your loan amount it would at least allow you to breathe a wee bit, then to continue with your efforts to move on at least without that burden and with an improved credit store. Please consider this a one-off anonymous donation, no strings attached. Kyra, who has straddled the poverty line since childhood, is one of the many people facing one of the worst economic crises since the 1970s. Despite spending 10 years in education and securing a BA Honours degree in journalism, she has struggled to escape mounting financial pressures. She is now expecting her household bills to skyrocket after a government decision, a UK government decision, to increase the energy fuel cap by a whopping 54%. The move has millions of people anxious about how they will support themselves and scrambling to find hundreds of pounds extra a month just to keep afloat. Our Beat the Squeeze campaign is focusing on real people affected by the crisis, how to save cash, and challenging political leaders as the cost of living soars. Kara previously told us, I was already skipping meals before they cut the universal credit uplift last year, now I barely eat. As of April, all my bills will be going up. I can't afford that. There's nothing left to cut back on. The cost of living is currently unbearable. I've always been under or on the poverty line, despite spending a decade in education, getting a degree and working two jobs to alleviate this. This turned out to be at the cost of my mental health. For now, I can't even focus on getting better because the things I need to survive that should be available are slowly being taken away from me. This is constant. How are we supposed to deal with price hikes when we are already at a disadvantage? This article was by Kirsty Fierick. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 12th of April 2022, from the news section. Glasgow, Monroe fully electric 4x4 vehicle unveiled by Brian Donnelly. 
Up to 300 jobs are set to be created in Scotland with the development of what is claimed will be among the first fully electric 4x4s designed and built in the UK. Glasgow-based Munro Vehicles has hailed a £750,000 investment by Elbow Beach Capital, which seeks to back decarbonisation, sustainability and social impact enterprises. Elbow Beach Capital believes a considerable opportunity exists to decarbonise vehicle fleets in the mining, forestry and agricultural industries. Munro expects its Mark I to be production line ready later this year, with first vehicle deliveries to be made in 2023, having undergone considerable off-road testing. The Mark I demonstrates impressive off-road performance and reliability, with the vehicle capable of carrying a 1,000 kilogram payload and delivering a range of over 280 kilometres per charge, the firm said. Monroe will use the proceeds of this round to hire key personnel, develop its order book and grow its sales network while building, testing and upgrading a production intent prototype vehicle. The firm said further funds will be raised later this year to scale the production line, recruit assembly staff and complete first deliveries of pre-ordered vehicles. Once the production line is at full capacity, Monroe expects to meet demand of up to 5,000 vehicles per year by 2030. Monroe expects to be cash flow positive by 2025, which will allow for an international rollout of its vehicles, it said. John Pollock, chief executive of Elbow Beach Capital, said it exists to identify and support companies challenging carbon-intensive industries and delivering practical solutions. Monroe is a fantastic example of this, adding, This is only just the start for Monroe. We have seen the prototype in action and were incredibly impressed by its versatility and overall performance under challenging conditions. These will be fit-for-purpose all-terrain vehicles which just happen to be powered by electricity. With Mark I nearing production readiness, 2022 is going to be an exciting year for the Munro team. Russ Peterson, chief executive of Munro, said, We're very excited to have Elbow Beach Capital support, particularly as we feel that their passion and enthusiasm matches our own. This investment is beneficial for the local economy and will allow us to source as many of our parts from within the UK as possible, cutting down on carbon emissions from shipping. We have a huge job ahead of us to take the Mark I to production, but with Elbow Beach's backing, we feel empowered to make it happen. Mr Pollock has joined Munro's Board of Directors as a representative of Elbow Beach Capital with immediate effect. This article was by Anne Donnelly. From the Glasgow Times of Tuesday the 12th of April 2022 from the opinion section Beat the Squeeze, Mike Daly Pre-loved uniforms could help your summer budget. Spring school holidays are upon us, but when pupils return later this month, they'll be thinking about two things, the approaching summer holidays and moving on up to the next year of school. It's an exciting rite of passage, whether starting at primary one, going from the wee school to primary four, or moving on up to the big school as a first year student. 
With every new school year comes the cost of a new school uniform and the best part of £200 per pupil. It's a big expense for families. If your child attends a school in Glasgow, you may be eligible for a school clothing grant from Glasgow City Council of £120 primary school or £150 secondary school per child if you're in receipt of certain benefits. The application process opens in July and can be submitted online at glasgow.gov.uk forward slash article, A-R-T-I-C-L-E, forward slash 17885, forward slash clothing, capital C, dash grants, capital G, dash and dash capital F3, dash school, capital S, dash Meals, capital M. Many people feeling the financial squeeze won't be eligible for clothing grants. For example, if you're in receipt of universal credit with more than £625 monthly take-home pay, you won't be eligible on current rules. With the cost of living crisis upon us, it's worth looking at alternative options to help with reduced household budgets. Donna Henderson founded Glasgow's Pre-Loved Uniforms, GPLU, to help parents cope with the financial pressure of the new school year. The Govan-based charity recycles pre-loved uniforms and passes them on for free to families throughout Glasgow, working with 29 schools across the city and providing a rail of uniforms for parents, pupils or teachers to take what they need. The lockdown peaks of COVID-19 made it tough for the charity as people had been unable to access the charity's premises. GPLU supports families through social workers, health visitors and family support workers from various organisations. The service is non-referral and open to everyone to help save money while helping the environment by reducing school uniforms going to landfill. The charity originated from an event at Balornock Primary School for a Community Achievement Award with Glasgow Kelvin College and interest from local families. After creating a Facebook page, Balornock Uniform Bank was formed. With more schools beyond G21 becoming involved, the organisation became North Glasgow Uniform Bank before relaunching as Glasgow's pre-loved uniforms in 2020. As Donna explained to me, although some families are entitled to a school clothing grant, kids grow all year round and they don't have the money to go out and buy uniforms when money is really tight. Unfortunately, there are always people too quick to judge and say, why give them a free uniform when they smoke, drink, take drugs or buy takeaways? For some, they are unable to budget and if they have a couple of children then it can be £260 at the start of July to buy school uniforms, but that may get spent on other bills. 
We've found since the summer of 2020 we're supporting more families who are in work and just miss out on the school clothing grant. I remember one parent had to give up their job due to a lack of childcare when the schools were off during lockdown. They were struggling to pay their mortgage with a child starting P1 and an older child at school. We were able to kit the P1 out from top to bottom, making life less stressful, and they only needed to buy a few items for the elder child. Apparently, they didn't qualify for the clothing grant. The ethos of GPLU is for all kids to go to school in a uniform that looks like their peers so they can fit in. This can boost a child's confidence and makes it easier to learn. Not everyone sees the importance of school uniforms, but it strikes me there is an essential need for charities like GPLU in Scotland. As well as school uniforms, GPLU holds big winter jacket giveaways each year to ensure children can go to school warm and dry throughout the winter. This includes vests, tights, boots, wellies, hats, scarves and gloves and since October it has passed on almost 2,000 items. As Donna said, for some this may not sound a lot, but we're a small charity with a small group of volunteers. No one gets a wage, it's all voluntary and it can be a struggle to get funding. At the moment, we only have enough money to get through the summer. We couldn't do what we do without all of the families donating their unwanted school uniforms. We also get brand new items donated too. For anyone looking to donate to GPLU or request a school uniform, you can email Glasgow's Preloved Uniforms, all lowercase, at Outlook.com Telephone 0756-572-6446 or contact the charity via Twitter at BankUniform, all lowercase. The charity would welcome more volunteers too. This article was by Mike Daly from the Glasgow Times of Tuesday the 12th of April 2022 from the opinion section. Scotland should follow England's lead in listing calorie counts by Katrina Stewart. When I started working in Starbucks in 1999 we had three beverage sizes, short, tall and grandy, the names for 8-ounce, 12-ounce and 16-ounce cups. At some point, the year escapes me, the 20-ounce venti cup was introduced and the short size sidled off the menu board. For a long time, people would still order a short and we would give them a tall cup but not quite fill it. But eventually, the smallest size became a distant memory. I remember when we saw the venti for the first time, a gog. This was a pint of coffee. Who on earth was going to order an entire pint of coffee? Well, lots of people, it emerged. 
Big cups are the norm now everywhere. By some standards, a pint cup is relatively abstemious, given the hulking options available. Portions for both drink and food have undergone a gargantuan creep to the point where we've lost a natural relationship with satiety and hunger and will indulge in a giant's repast as though it were normal. I was reading recently that until about the age of three, humans will stop eating when they are full. This is apparently a universal trait. No matter how much food a toddler is given, they will stop when they've had enough. By the time a child is five, they will eat whatever's in front of them. Plate sizes and cup sizes have increased to accommodate our expanding appetites. Did you know the correct portion size for a piece of meat is the same size as a pack of playing cards? A portion of cheese should be the size of a matchbox. I don't know about you, but I'd feel short-changed with a matchbox bit of brie. One of the venti-sized drinks I used to make for customers had around 750 calories in it, and I wondered if I, it should come with a disclaimer. Did people realise that they were having a liquid meal? Would they care? Of course, these questions are moot now because Starbucks, alongside other high street cafe chains, provides calorie counts on menu boards and have done for a number of years. In England last week, it became mandatory for restaurant businesses with more than 250 staff members to provide calorie counts for meals. Now the Scottish Government has launched a 12-week consultation looking at introducing the same thing here. Obesity is a costly business. It currently costs the UK £6.1 billion a year to deal with associated health problems and that figure is predicted to rise to £9.7 billion by 2050. In Scotland, Government figures show that two-thirds of the population is overweight or obese. Acknowledging the discussion around whether thin is necessarily automatically healthy and the debate around whether it's possible to be fat and healthy, there is still a problem and we know we have to deal with it. What good are calorie counts though? And might they do more harm than good? In the US, calorie information became mandatory on menus in certain states as long ago as 2008, but studies show the move has made little difference. While initially food choices changed, that change petered out. Restaurants surveyed in England ahead of the legislation change said that they would not be altering recipes either, so it looks very much like the initiative does not shift the status quo. Those who live with eating disorders and disordered eating worry that having the numbers there in plain view will be triggering, putting people off going out to eat at all or making what should be a pleasurable experience instead a miserable business. I spent my teens and early twenties aspiring to an ideal of thinness that was never my own desire, but a toxic mix of outside forces and internal pressures. 
At some point, the dam burst and I began to eat as a subconscious act of rebellion, devouring everything I could because I could, from one extreme to another. And now a constant search for balance, which is hard to find. If you are slim and have always been slim, it can be very difficult to comprehend just how difficult weight loss is and how the world is simply not designed to help you have a healthy relationship with food. There's much talk of an obesogenic society, but until you're trying to change your eating habits, you don't truly see it. Relationships to food are complicated and complex, and solving the obesity crisis similarly so. It needs wide-ranging change, from better education about food to better and more affordable availability of quality food. Calorie counting is a blunt instrument also. Many of us understand that not all calories are created equal. While there should be far less shame around weight and dietary choices and far more emphasis on structural change, providing people with information to help make balanced choices is also crucial. A compromise might be to have an opt-in system where calorie count menus are available alongside menus without those numbers. While some people will find calorie counts a barrier, others will find them useful in making better choices. England has led the charge with this, but hopefully Scotland can learn from its efforts and introduce a system that, as with diet, understands that balance is key. This article was by Katrina Stewart. From the Glasgow Times, Tuesday the 12th of April 2022, from the news section. SNP leader open to deal with Labour at Glasgow City Chambers, by Kathleen Nutt. The SNP leader of Glasgow City Council said she would be open to a deal with Labour if no party emerges with a majority after the election next month. Susan Aitken said she would be happy to have a conversation with Labour for the good of the city. Asked whether she would be open to working with Labour in a coalition, she said, We would be open to having discussions. I think it is less likely, I've got to say, than one with the Greens. Anasawa has said Labour won't do any deals with the SNP. I think that is very foolish, I've got to say. She was asked if she would prefer a deal with Labour or the Greens. I think it is a bit early to say, but what I would say is that we have worked with all parties in the Council on a vote-by-vote -vote basis. We have lost very few votes over the past five years, she said. And it is because we have worked to build consensus and to build a coalition around our programmes and our policies, because we think they are the right things for the city, and we have largely been able to do that, our working relationship with the Greens on the budgets, particularly the past three budgets we have done, has been very constructive. It's been very mature. It's not that we don't have areas of disagreement. We do. But we've worked through those for the good of the city. I think we would be more than happy to continue to have those conversations with our Green colleagues. If our Labour colleagues were up for something constructive, mature conversations about how to move forward for the good of the city, then we would be happy to have those conversations with them too. 
Whether they are in that space or not, I'm not sure. It's up to them. That article was by Kathleen Nutt. Evening Times, April 11. Lifestyle Memories. Remembering Glenn Daly, the man who wrote Glasgow's famous Celtic song. Report by Anne Fotheringham. He died decades ago, but he still performs to tens of thousands of people regularly in Glasgow. Glenn Daly is the man who recorded the Celtic song, and it is his version which is still played to this day at Parkhead when the club is playing at home. Glenn was born in Glasgow in 1920 and attended St Mary's School. When he left school, he started work on the shipyards on the Clyde. He began his stage career as a foil to famous Scottish performer Lex McLean, and his contemporaries included Andy Stewart and the Alexander Brothers. Most Glasgow households will have had a Glendaley LP in their collection, alongside the likes of Sidney Devine and Lena Martell. In 1972, he was presented with a silver disc by Glasgow's Lord Provost, Sir Donald Liddell. The song he will forever be best known for, however, is the Celtic song, still played at the start of the club's home matches. In the same year he recorded, he also recorded the Johnny Thompson song to mark the 30th anniversary of the tragic death of the Celtic goalkeeper at the age of just 22. He toured extensively and appeared on BBC Scotland show The White Heather Club, along with countless pantomimes at Glasgow's Pavilion Theatre, where he also frequently topped the bill in variety shows. Outside of Glasgow, he performed at the Edinburgh Palladium and in Belfast. He was a popular well-kent face in the city. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 13th of April 2022, from the news section. Warning for Glasgow senior carer who failed to report resident seizure. This article is an exclusive by Kirsty Fredrick. A senior carer has been slapped with a warning after failing to report a resident seizure. John Douglas placed the vulnerable resident at risk of harm while working as a manager with Living Ambitions Limited in Glasgow South and East. Scottish Social Services Council, SSSC, branded the behaviour serious and a breach of the trust placed in a social care worker after the incident happened around May 17th, 2020. Douglas also worked seven shifts without having read the support plans of the service users between April 23rd, 2020 and May 2020. He has now been placed on a warning for 12 months after demonstrating insight and remorse for any wrongdoing, according to the SSSC. The service also acknowledged Douglas had just been asked, at short notice, to work in a role he was not used to during the outset of COVID-19. The Scottish Social Services Council report said, Social care workers must meet the relevant standards of practice and maintain clear, accurate and up-to-date records. Your behaviour was serious and breached the trust placing you as a social care worker. 
You failed to document that the service user AE information redacted. His daily diary and on an accident and incident form. You also failed to provide this information to your colleagues at the handover. You failed to document this information appropriately and in doing so you place AE at risk of harm. As a social care worker, it is a reasonable standard of practice that an update on a service user's health and welfare to be provided at a handover. This should have been documented appropriately to ensure that the service user's well-being and needs were being met. Further, you fail to read or otherwise make yourself aware of the content of support plans for vulnerable service users on more than one occasion. Your failure to ensure that you are fully aware of the needs and vulnerabilities could have placed the service users in your care at a risk of harm. There was a risk you provided support that did not adequately address the service users' needs. Your behaviour was unacceptable, especially since you are employed in a senior role as a service manager and should have been setting an example of good practice to your junior colleagues. Social care workers have the right to expect that those who are supervising and managing them lead by example and practice in a safe way. The report also highlighted the factors in, in the carer's favour. You have demonstrated insight and remorse and accepted your wrongdoing from an early stage. You have fully cooperated with the SSSC investigation. You have not previously been found to have your fitness and practice impaired. Your behaviour occurred during the outset of the COVID-19 pandemic and during that time you had been asked by your employer at short notice to work in a role that you were not used to working in. And that article was an exclusive by Kirsty Fenick. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 13th of April 2022, in the news section, Residents terrified to let kids out to play amid fly-tipping eyesore? By Lauren Gilmore. Disgusted residents in Glasgow's East End claim they are terrified to let their children out to play due to eyesore fly-tipping on land behind their homes. Willie Anderson, who lives in Wellhouse, has called for an action to be taken over a communal area of land to the rear of properties at Bildoven Crescent. The grass sits behind two blocks of tenements and a row of homes and is littered with household appliances, rubbish, fallen tree branches and old children's toys. Willie said, I have lived here now for four years and it's been like this since then. I've got four kids and we can't let them out to play because we are worried about their safety. If someone would come and clean this up for us, we would look after the area and maintain it. It would mean I don't have to worry about letting my kids outside, and we are not constantly having to check on them. But there is uncertainty over who owns the land, resulting in a dispute over who clears it. Another resident, who asked not to be named, claimed that her mother had lived in the area for 30 years and it has always been the same. She said, It's horrible having to look out at that every day. I've got three kids and they're not allowed anywhere near this. If something could be done about this, it would make the area much safer. It's a good area. All the neighbours chip in together. John Daly, a Conservative candidate for the Baileyson Ward in next month's council election, said he was shocked but not surprised by the eyesore. He said, I'm in total shock but I'm not surprised. These communities have been forgotten. People aren't empowered enough to get this sorted themselves. They're not just going to say, 
get this fixed for me. They're saying, get this fixed for me and I'll look after it. I spent all my years working in areas of challenge. I found that people are absolutely fierce for their communities. They just need that leg up. If that was anywhere else in the city, it would have been cleaned right away. Glasgow Conservative Group leader Thomas Kerr said that it was further evidence the northeast of the city had been left behind. He said, This is shocking and it's a similar sight across the city. We've seen pieces of land that have been left like this for years. Local residents are happy to look after it once it's cleared up. It just needs somebody to have a wee bit of ownership and come and clear it up first. And then they're more than happy to look after it properly. It's a clear health hazard. If there is something like this, the council should come and clear it and then bill the owners. A spokesperson for Wellhouse Housing Association said that they would not comment as the issue is a political matter, but they told the Glasgow Times they would be happy to work with the residents to find a way to clear the mess. Glasgow City Council said that cleaning up the mess was a matter for a private landowner. A spokesperson said, The upkeep of private property is a matter for the owner. And that article is by Lauren Gilmore. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 13th of April 2022. From the Lifestyle section, Secret Glasgow Taxi Driver, Tricks and Trips, Keeping Control of Your Summer Halls, by the Secret Glasgow Taxi Driver. We are bang in the middle of Easter holiday season with schools off and a long weekend to come. Whether staying at home, going on a staycation or flying further afield, time off will just be the tonic for anyone who can enjoy some. You deserve it. For those swapping the pretty average weather at home for something sunnier away, I applaud you, especially if you do so in the face of lengthier queues through airports. It's hard enough taking the kids away without having to spend any more time than needed waiting around, which is never going to be top of a toddler's to-do list. Impatient wanes and backing on foreign holidays reminds me of a genius story a fellow driver told me a few years back. This driver, let's call him Rab, lived next door to a lovely young family with a couple of excitable, noisy kids, meaning the parents were a bit anxious about their upcoming trip abroad. So they hatched a plan. Rab would be commissioned to take them all to the airport in the morning of their flight. Rab would also secretly be commissioned with doing a dummy run in the day before the morning of their flight, unbeknownst to the kids. It all went exactly as planned. On the day before the flight, Rab went to pick the family up, only to be greeted with a couple of kids out of control. They were beyond high as kites and in no fit state to embark on a flight, let alone wait around for tours in an airport. So, at the front door, and with both kids in all the cases, not even patched yet at her feet, Mum said, We can't go if you're behaving like this, we'll try again tomorrow, but Rab will only be back. If you're well behaved. Genius or cruel, you decide, but it worked. The next day, when Rab rang the bell, there they were, the family all lined up and ready to go. Two perfectly behaved kids were transformed from 24 hours ago, as were the now packed cases. And off they all went, straight to the airport in near silence, through the queues with barely a hiccup, and all was perfect as they boarded the plane. Perfect, that is, until the flight was just five minutes in when one kid vomited, and the other asked, are we nearly there yet? Where's Rab when you really need him? 
Anyway, happy holidays to all who are home and away this week. Stay safe. And that article was by the secret Glasgow taxi driver. From the Glasgow Times, Wednesday the 13th of April 2022, in the news section, strikes called off as unions and council agree pay deal for Glasgow women workers. Article by Katrina Stewart, columnist and reporter. Union bosses have confirmed equal pay strikes will not go ahead after a late night deal was struck with Glasgow City Council. Unison has told its members to stand down as its lawyers prepare to enter legal discussions over the financial settlement of the members' equal pay claims. This will take time, the union said, which is why the action is now suspended. But bosses warned that members would not hesitate to strike again if needed. Mandy McDowell, Unison Regional Organiser for Glasgow, said This agreement was only possible because Unison members were prepared to take significant action to end pay injustice. All further industrial action is suspended in good faith as we are optimistic we can find a resolution. However, the dispute will remain live should legal discussions falter. Unison members will not hesitate to strike again should we need to. Glasgow City Council leader Susan Aitken wrote to the trade unions last night to say We remain committed to a settlement that's the same basis as the 2019 deal. We are targeting a payment in October. We know that this momentum needs to be kept up in the weeks and months ahead so that a settlement and payment can be made quickly. Strikes had previously been planned for March the 29th and 30th but these were called off after a last minute offer from Glasgow City Council and further talks. However, Unison had planned further strike action in April and May. These strikes are now all suspended as the unions, Glasgow City Council and lawyers from both sides agree a financial deal which will end equal pay injustice. Units in Glasgow City Branch are sitting to their members today to say the industrial dispute objectives were to force the council to maintain the 2019 deal and agree to make further payments on an acceptable timescale. These objectives have been secured. As stated previously, there were only one because the trade union members were prepared to take strike action. Well done again to all Unison members and our sister trade unions. The strike action planned for April the 20th and 21st will therefore not go ahead, but the Unison strike ballot remains live under current UK law and we will be closely monitoring the progress to deliver further payments as agreed by the Leader of the Council. Unison Scottish Secretary Tracy Darling said, This is fantastic news. I want to congratulate every one of the women involved in this struggle to end pay injustice, particularly Unison's hard-working, low-paid women who have been resolute to the end. It is simply unacceptable that women were forced to take their fight all the way to the brink of strike action. However, we now seem to have reached agreement. There is still hard work to do, but this is good news for everyone across Glasgow. Glasgow City Council has been contacted for comment. Evening Times, April 13. Lifestyle. Plan for new blue plaque in honour of Stan Laurel in Glasgow. Stan Laurel's Glasgow links are well known here in the city and abroad. He attended school on the south side. His father ran a Glasgow theatre and he took his first steps into showbiz on the stage here 
Now a city tour guide wants a permanent tribute created for the man who was one half of the world's most famous comedy duo. James Scott, who runs guided history tours around the merchant city, is hoping Times Past readers will support his fundraising campaign to have a blue plaque installed near the site of the Metropole Theatre, now the Scotia Bar, on Stockwell Street. There is already a plaque to stand at the Britannia Panopticon, the music hall generally considered to be the venue in which a young Stan Laurel made his dramatic comedy debut. But James believes it is just as likely Stan appeared firstly at the Metropole, where his father was the manager. Says James, he certainly worked at the Metropole, or the Scotia, as it was originally known. He started as a cashier, taking the tickets. His father, Arthur Jefferson, wrote plays, and Stan appeared in them. And then later, he did his own comedy routine. So it's possible his earliest stage performances actually took place in his dad's theatre and not the Panopticon. According to Judith Bowers in Glasgow's Lost Theatre, the story of the Britannia Music Hall, it was teenage Stan's hapless performance at the Panopticon in 1906 that set the wheels of his comedy career in motion. Laurel noticed his disapproving father in the audience, which put him off, and he wanted off stage, so took a bow but fumbled the hat and dropped it, she writes. He stepped forward to pick up the hat, his foot connected with it, and kicked it into the orchestra. As everyone dissolved into peals of laughter, a comedy genius was born setting the foundations for Laurel and Hardy's slapstick genius later on. James, a lifelong Laurel and Hardy fan, is hoping a plaque on the wall of the Scotia Bar, which stands on the site of the old Metropole, will remind visitors to the city of Stan's Glasgow connections. He is planning a celebration on June 18 at 1pm to remember Stan Laurel and unveil the plaque. And he adds, We are delighted the historic bar has agreed to have the plaque installed there, and we're really looking forward to the event. We have singers performing songs from Laurel and Hardy's famous movies lined up to appear, and hopefully a few more surprises. If you would like to support the event and the installation of the plaque, you can donate to James's GoFundMe page. Laurel and Hardy visited Glasgow several times over the course of their career, always to great welcomes from huge crowds, desperate to catch a glimpse of their heroes. Stan and Ollie were massive stars, famous for films such as Unaccustomed As We Are and Pardon Us and the Oscar-winning The Music Box which won an Academy Award for Best Short Subject. Their most eventful visit to Glasgow was in July 1932, when they were met by 8,000 adoring fans at Central Station. 
As the two men made their way to the concourse, a huge surge from the eager crowd pushed them towards the station's Hope Street exit. People were fainting, others scrabbling in panic to avoid the crush, and the terrified stars had to be whisked out of the side door onto the main street. The Evening Citizen, an early Glasgow evening newspaper, reported, Suddenly, a stone balustrade in Hope Street, skirting the wall of the hotel, collapsed outwards onto the pavement owing to the pressure of the crowd, and a number of persons were knocked over by falling masonry. The heap of broken stonework fortunately formed a barricade which protected the surging crowd from falling into a basement seven feet below. Three ambulance wagons arrived on the scene and nine men were removed to the Royal Infirmary. The experience left Laurel and Hardy shaken, with ripped clothes, damaged shoes and a missing watch. It was pinched from Stan's wrist in the chaos, but they went ahead with their personal appearance at La Scala Cinema later that day. It was an emotional evening for Stan, who lived in Langside when he was a child. He attended Queen's Park School and he spoke movingly about his fond memories of Glasgow. Report by Anne Fotheringham. And that was this week's Glasgow Times News podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.